like to welcome everybody to Sunday School. Um, like I said, it's good to be here this morning. Um, I was thinking, <clears throat> I, had a, uh, I was at work a couple weeks ago and had a fortune cookie. And I opened it up and read it inside it. And the fortune said, the light inside of you is brighter than any fire. And uh, I thought about that and how what God placed down in my heart when I was just a seven-year-old boy is brighter than any hell that you could ever become for it. And I'm thankful that I'm saved from that place. And uh, I'm just good, glad to be here and uh, looking for a good day. Um, we'll ask Mike Nichols to dismiss the Sunday school. to be here this morning. Appreciate everybody coming. Just kind of letting them get uh, settled out there and get the doors closed. Enjoyed the little kids singing this morning. That was sure a blessing. We're going to be in Luke today. Luke chapter 24 is where our lesson is, is taken from. And it's the, the lesson is Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 12. With Easter being next Sunday, not surprisingly, this is a an Easter-related lesson. So uh, Carl and I have talked a lot about this. Uh, lessons that have been gone over and are uh, been taught and preached and sung about and testified about, to me, are the hardest lessons to try to get up and teach. As a teacher, of course, my number one priority is to follow God and uh, Neil asked me this morning, he said, you got the lesson? And I said, yeah. I said, well, hold on a minute. I, said, I hope he's got the lesson this morning. If I can just be a conduit uh, from him to the class, then I'm in the right place. And, uh, but so these lessons that, you know, have been gone over, they're hard. I obviously I want to follow God and I hope to feel his presence. But I'm always looking to give the class something new to think about to get you you know interested in this consider it think about it read it uh, study it and if I do that I feel like I've, I've you know kind of accomplished my my goal and boy it's hard to do 
on these. I mean, everybody in here can get up and teach these, these 12 verses uh, and go over them and explain them and probably knows them as well or better than me. Um, so desire your prayers. I've got a couple of thoughts on this, and we'll just kind of work our way through it. Uh, and hopefully, really, my primary thoughts, I mean, there's some good stuff in this lesson. My primary thoughts are down toward the end of it. So if we get there, we do. And so as I, as I do a lot of times, I, I want to start off and talk about the, the author. And now we realize that all scriptures were given by divine inspiration. And so God is ultimately the author, but he picked a man or a woman a couple of times, but he picks people, us, to pen these, these letters, these books of the Bible. So who's Luke? Luke is, a, is an interesting uh, person. We don't know as much about him as we do a lot of the other writers. Certainly Paul, who wrote you know more than half of the New Testament, we know a lot about him, and a lot of that's because of his writings. And Matthew and Mark and John, all apostles that traveled with Christ, who wrote the other three Gospels, and of course Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are referred to as the Gospels, the four books that you know, give a history and a chronology of Christ's life. Interesting that Luke wasn't actually a witness to that. He never met Christ physically that I can tell in the scriptures. He became a Christian years later probably because of Paul's preaching. Certainly Luke and Paul, their paths crossed. Uh, and Luke goes back and, and gets to meet some of these fellows and reads what they have written and understands it. And God impresses him. And boy, what a tough spot to be in. All these other men that witnessed Christ personally and physically and walked with him have written these books and these letters but Luke gets it on his heart to write this and that's not his that's not where he came from the other thing that's interesting is I think it, there's a lot of evidence that Luke's probably Greek or at least lived in Greece for a lot of the time and, and maybe when he wrote this so Paul refers to him as a physician, so I believe that he is actually a, a, a doctor, uh, you know, doing medicine, and I think he probably helped Paul at least at one time, uh, some evidence of that. Probably lived at Philippi, which is a, a town in Greece, or maybe uh, near Corinth that we've talked about, and obviously Paul's been there. So Luke writes this letter. Now, the book of Luke was written, and if you go back in the first chapter, it was written to a man named Theophilus. All right? One of the commentaries, and boy, I can't disagree with this, one of the commentaries said that possibly the purpose for this was Luke writing to Theophilus, basically witnessing to him and, and trying to testify to him and explain to him what he knew about this man named Jesus. I can't argue with that. I don't know if that's right or not. Uh, but that commentator said it, it was all, it, maybe it was the first tract 
which are, you know, little pamphlets, and we've all seen those. I don't use them, but, you know, I've seen them and read some of them. But from this, this commentator's perspective, maybe this was the first written letter to try to convince somebody and encourage them, you know, to, to follow Christ. So interesting. So Luke writes this. Another thing about the book of Luke that's really interesting some commentators, now this is just opinion, but some commentators call it the, the most beautiful book in the Bible. Just because of uh, Luke has a, a really talented way of writing, and you see some of that if you read very much of it. But the way he describes things and sets, you know, sets the picture, uh, I think, is pretty. And uh, so it's almost poetic at times. So that's, the, that's Luke and the book of Luke. And, but keep in mind, all scriptures are divinely inspired of God. And he has brought those scriptures from a variety of places to us to help us now. And so this book, which is a whole bunch of books, but this book that we call the Bible is a treasure. All right. And, and so... Some folks from the carnal mind would say, well, a book written essentially not firsthand, but talking to somebody else and getting their notes and finding out what happened isn't as valuable as a book of somebody that witnessed it firsthand. And I understand their perspective. Certainly from a legal standpoint, when we call somebody to the stand and we say, okay, what can you tell us that you saw well, the, the laws that we use don't allow that person, very often, there are a few exceptions, but they don't allow that person to say, well, so-and-so told me that he saw this. We don't allow that because it's not as credible. But God's word doesn't follow the laws of man. And so God inspired Luke, and it's a beautiful book, and it's, a, it's part of the great treasure that we have. So with that... Let's go to chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 1. Now, upon, now, just before this, at the end of, of chapter 23, it is explaining what happened at the crucifixion. Christ is taken down, and it's explaining what's going on. All right, so that's, that's what happens immediately before this. So upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they... We'll talk about who the they are. Came unto the sepulcher, sepulcher, bringing spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. So the they, it tells us down in verse 10, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them. That's the they. So there's a group of women that go down to the tomb. Okay. Now, this is the first day of the week. It's Sunday. All right. Previously, their Sabbath had been on Saturday. When you read the, the old Bible and you look at the Jewish traditions and, and the way that the Jews worshipped, they worshipped on Saturday. First day of the week was Sunday. When you read Genesis and it talks about on the first day, it's talking about Sunday. And when it gets down to where the seventh day and God rests, that's Saturday. So now we're here on Sunday, and this is our Sabbath. Did we mess up somewhere? 
how did we go from Saturday to Sunday? Somebody just along the way decided it worked out better? Well, of course not. I mean, this story and Christ rising is why we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. It's a new covenant. Christ got up on Sunday. That's our day of hope. That's our Sabbath. Uh, and so, anyway, they're here on the first day of the week. It's Sunday morning. They go down. They didn't go on Saturday. Saturday was the Sabbath. The way I read this, they didn't go. But now on Sunday, they're going to go down and put these spices and these ointments on the body of Christ. And that was their, that was their tradition. That was the way they showed you know, love and respect for uh, the, the recently deceased person. So the they are these women that go down there. Verse 2, and they, same group, found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. So I'm going to, I'll, I'll explain this just from my perspective. I had all my life heard about Christ was, was buried in a, in a tomb, hewn out of rock, and that there was a big stone rolled in front of it. Okay. All my life, I'm picturing a big boulder. All right. I don't know why I pictured it that way, but I had, I had this big boulder, you know, that had been rolled up there and took a bunch of men to roll it up there in a big boulder that blocks the door. And I don't know, I know it was, was before mom and dad got to go to Israel, but certainly their visit to the tomb helped me, and it's changed my mental perspective of that. So it was a big stone that was rolled in front of the door, but it was a stone that had been cut and hewn, and so it was shaped like a wheel, and it was, it was thinner. I don't know exactly how thin that it is, but, you know, maybe six or eight or ten inches and it's a big stone, but there's, there's actually a track that it can be rolled over to close off the door. And then it can be rolled back like a wheel. So it's, just think of like a, a big wheel that's, that's made out of stone. So that's the stone that's here blocking this tomb. But when they get there, it's rolled back. Okay. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, as they get there and they see this, what's got to be going through their mind? What, what in the world's happening here? Why is the stone rolled back already? They were probably expecting they were going to have to ask the guards that were there to move the stone for them because it's women. I don't think they could probably move it. Maybe they could have, but my guess is they were going to have to get the guards to move it. They get there, the stone is rolled back entrance into the tomb is open. All right. Does anybody have any comments on that? And I know mom and dad are here. Maybe there's somebody else that's been to the tomb that wants to give some, some more explanation on that, and I'm happy for that, but uh, does anybody else have any comments about that? Okay. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. So when I read this, I thought about the video, and I guess everybody in here has seen it, where, where mom and dad had, 
individually had been into the tomb and dad came out and I really got a blessing out of that but he said I know you all know it but he's not in there you know uh, and so uh, I know he's not in there I've never been there physically but I don't have to go to the garden to know he's not there I don't have to do that physically maybe someday I'll get to hope to but if I don't I've been to the garden spiritually and I'm a witness that he got up so they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus so again putting you know just be thinking at this point they're thinking what is going on I mean one thought may have been well somebody's coming and stolen him you know uh, that had to that would be what's crossing my mind I don't think at this point any of them had started approaching the thought that he's got up now maybe they had but the scripture and I'll get on down to why I don't think that they had but you know but if they had it sure wasn't it, it wasn't uh, their, their primary thought they're wondering what's going on here the other thing that you got to do is everybody in here has lost somebody that was close to you had somebody die okay we all have um, there's a period of time with me when I've gone through that that I don't think real clearly I mean grief causes you to think and look at and approach things differently than we might you know right here today healthy and not somebody recently died and, and just excited to be at church and Sunday school this morning so grief will cause you to think about things differently and so they're all dealing with that all of these women that were there loved Jesus physically they all had different you know relationships with him he was their Lord but they had had a physical walk with him and now that was changed and they're sorrowful and they just you know either watched or were told what happened with his crucifixion so that's all weighing on their mind too all right and so that's important uh, to keep in mind kind of where they're at mentally and it came to pass this is verse 4 as they were much perplexed and that's why I said I don't think it, it's clicking with them yet exactly what's happened they're trying to figure all this out they're trying to decipher what's going on but they're perplexed I mean they're they're upset and their mind is probably going a thousand miles an hour behold two men stood by them in shining garments so um, I have spent all week trying to figure out the shining garments I really have uh, I don't have a whole lot but I'm intrigued by it um, certainly now I, I got to tell you I think I think they are still in the tomb itself when this is going on all right it, it doesn't say that they came back out I mean I, I'm given you know the opportunity in my mind that they could have stepped back out it could be it's early in the morning the Sun could be you know coming up and shining but I think they're still in the actual tomb with these two men that I'll call angels 
standing by them there in shining garments. So if they're inside this room, why are their garments shining? I mean, I think it has to actually be a shining coming from within rather than something illuminating them from without, if you follow what I'm, I'm meaning. It's possible, and I'm not saying this isn't the case, I'm not going to argue with you, that the sun, the, the physical sun, was rising and was shining on them, but I, I don't really think that that's the case. I think that they were shining. I think the, these are angels, and I think that they were shining from within. We've got other examples. If you go back to Christ's birth, there were angels there, and there was some description of them, and I think I've, I've always had that, and I've went back and read that. I think there was, you know, I think their garments were shining at that time. But does anybody have a, a thought on the, on the shining garments? That's good. I, I appreciate that. I mean, it just that that personal knowledge helps. Uh, and so, maybe about here to the end, maybe a couple of feet over, so rectangle about that size. Okay. And I didn't know. I mean, I, I saw the pictures and some of the video, but again, haven't been there. You know, we we read back over in at least one of the gospels about Christ when he was alive, taking some of the disciples up on the mount and the Mount Transfiguration. And certainly there was glory there, and he shined, and that was, you know, and so uh, I don't know that the angels have the exact same glory. I don't think they do have the exact same glory that Christ and the Godhead have, but certainly the same, uh, same shining and same light uh, is, is there. And so, uh, but just... Appreciate that comment. Anybody else have a comment on that? The shining garments. Okay. I couldn't hear you, Don. Oh, absolutely. Yep. It, this was a spiritual time, and I think what they were being told, certainly uh, God's spirit was there. So, 
I can't disagree with you there. Okay. Uh, so here are these two men in shining garments. I, and the, the way I picture this, I don't think the two men were there when they went into the tomb. I think they appeared unto them after they were there and realized that Christ was gone. Okay. And as they were afraid, so, you know, we're at the graveyard and there's a empty tomb here where we were expecting to find the body of our friend and now all of a sudden there's there's two angels here with shining garments standing talking that would that would startle i mean make me afraid you know if you think about that i i, I would at least be my goodness what's going on here uh so they're afraid and they bowed down their faces to the earth so it's more than a startle they're giving reference reverence to what's being said and who's here and they said unto them so these are the angels uh, saying unto the women why seek ye the living among the dead wow what a powerful scripture that applies everywhere in our lives now certainly it applies here and I understand they're saying why are you looking for Jesus he's not here he's up I mean, they're telling them, they're letting them know he's not dead, all right? But a message here that if we look around our world today, we have people all over the place looking to fill the hole in their lives, and they're looking in the wrong place. They're seeking a living God and they're looking for him out amongst dead people. Think about that. People sticking needles in their arm, people snorting stuff up their nose, looking for this in relationships that are ungodly, and doing all sorts of things looking for a living God to fill this void in their life and they're looking for that among dead people they're in a graveyard looking for somebody that's alive and how sad that is and we won't go here in, in a whole lot of detail but folks I think there's a whole lot of people walking into buildings that have crosses on the front door that are looking for the living among the dead the blind trying to lead the blind. All right. so. He is not here, but is risen. So they're getting right down to it now. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He got up. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? Now in Matthew... Now, this is in the book of Luke, too, but I, I like the verse in Matthew. So Matthew 16 and 21 is what this is referring to. From that time forth began Christ to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. He told them. I'm getting up on the third day. Why weren't any of them there? 
closest that came are these three women, and it says, and then some other, but these three women it names, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. And they were late. He'd been up a while. He wasn't there no more. How come they weren't there? Boy, I would have been there, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't. That was sarcasm. You know, bazinga, so to speak. <laughs> I would I wouldn't have you know I would have missed it. They all missed it. But again, think about this grief that's gripping all of them. They're trying to understand what's going on. Is it okay not to understand as a Christian? We ought to understand it, right? We ought to get it all. I don't. There's a lot of stuff I don't get. Why'd that happen? That don't make any sense me is it okay to struggle and not understand and wonder well I hope it is because I'm there a big lot of the time so none of them are there he told them I'm gonna be gonna be put to death and I'm gonna get up in three days and then he used some examples of the temple some of the Pharisees got upset because they thought he was talking about their actual building that they had right there. But all along he was talking about, I'm getting up. And he got up and nobody was there. None of his disciples, none of the women he traveled with, none of them. But, you know, obviously, again, sarcasm. I hope you picked that up. I would have been probably not in as good a place as they were, were at. Anybody have any comments on this? So verse 7 just goes on and the angels are explaining again what he, he told them that I just read over there in Matthew, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And now, verse 8, And they remembered his words. It starts to click, okay? I don't know how long this has taken, maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute. They go in, they see the, the stones rolled away, they go in, they see he's not there. Two angels, you know, in shining garments start talking to him. I think, like Don said, I think they feel something, feel the presence of God. They, they bow down to show their respect, and now the angels are telling them, I seek you the living among the dead. He got up. Don't you remember? He said he was getting up. Then it clicks. Oh, yeah. He told us. I'm sure their minds all went back to the field where he was at over there in Galilee when he said, this is going to happen. I'm getting up on the third day. So what do they do? What do you do when you've got good news? What we do. Yeah. And they, they don't have Facebook, so they couldn't go, they couldn't take a, a, a selfie and post it, you know, and go, he got up, woo! <laughs> you know, so they take off and they head back to their, their friends. So verse 9, and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven. So the eleven 
you know, Judas isn't there, obviously, but the, uh, the other 11. And to all the rest, so all 11 are there, and there's a group of other people that are there. So the church is assembled. They're together. They're, they're suffering. They're hurting. They're grieving. And these women come in and tell them this great news, and man, they had a shouting revival time, right? What they do? They don't believe it. Is not believing as a Christian, is that okay? Now, obviously, we have to believe in Christ to be saved, but are there things that you get told sometimes? You hear about a service where so many people got saved, you think, huh? That couldn't be right, could it? Could 15 people get saved in one meeting? Really? What? So, ah, that must have been hocus pocus. So they, or some of them missed it or something. Everybody, Anybody else ever have them thoughts? I got to get on Facebook or whatever page they put their services on because I want to see that. Faith is weak, yeah. We want to limit God. I got all kinds of confidence in God, but... This guy right here gets in the way all the time. So here are the 11 and their group. I mean, these are the people that walked and were right there with Christ. These are his folks. This is the church. And they come in and these women start telling them he's not there. And how did they respond? So let me read verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. So we had already kind of read that earlier so you know who it was, but we get that again. Verse 11. And their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Did you guys hear what I just said? He ain't there. And there was two angels, and they told us that he got up and reminded us when he... Yeah, I guess. Okay. Again, I can't... I mean, I'm trying to put myself in their position, and I, I can't feel anything other than just sorrow for them. I, I mean... I feel how heavy-hearted they must have been. And this isn't making sense to them either. And they weren't there when the two angels and the spirit moved. But now they're hearing it from these women who they know, and I believe they've got confidence in, but it's still just not making sense. You ever hear something, the preacher ever get up and preach something to you, and you think, huh, that don't make a whole lot of sense to me. I've been there. Oh, by anybody else. I have trouble. Again, I've got all the confidence in the world in God, but this guy right here gets in the way. Verse 12. Then arose Peter. Is he the one that you would think? 
Now, one of the other scriptures does say John is there and John and Peter go together. And so, I, you know, but Peter, man, it hasn't been three days. He was standing afar off from Christ. And when they said, aren't you one of them? Nope, not me. Uh-uh, I don't know the guy. And ran unto the sepulcher. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed. So he, he runs to get there, and he gets there and he looks at it, and there's some evidence of what's gone on. But he, he leaves, wondering in himself at that which has come to pass. What in the world is going on? Trying to make sense of it all. Now the one thing I'll tell you, and I want to talk about Peter just a little bit. The one thing I'll tell you that Peter did that was really good was he took off and ran and got there. Okay? I don't know about anybody else, but I have doubts. I don't understand. I question what God's doing. I can't get it all figured out. But it's never a wrong move to move towards Christ as fast and as quickly as you can. And even here, Peter didn't understand it all, but it started the process for him to get back where that he needed to be. I want to talk about Peter. If there is ever a textbook example of working to forgive yourself and get over the mistakes you've made, it's Peter. So what do I mean by that? Within the last 10 days, here are things Peter had been through. 10 days. It may have been seven, but I, I'll stretch it out to 10 because I'm not sure on a couple of them. He watched Christ heal the 10 lepers on his way to Jerusalem. Ten of them. He walked up and healed them. All ten of them. Brand new skin. Man, that's pretty good. Ever been to a revival service and had just a, you know, one of them gym dandies? And how you feel right after, man, the next day, like you're floating on a cloud. You know, think about if that was ten people that got saved on Sunday night or a night of revival. Next day, floating on a cloud. Man, I'm, I'm up there. Shortly after that, Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, Peter knew Lazarus. They were friends. They were acquaintances. They had, their paths had crossed. They had worshipped together. He was there when Christ said, Lazarus, come forth. And he got up. Man, another night of revival. Woo! He sees him ride into Jerusalem. And he sees all of the, the praise that's going on. Christ tells Peter, go secure us a room for the feast. So Peter and John go do that. But I know he had to be feeling good about that. He went and made the preparations. That's the feast that we refer to as the Last Supper. I don't think Peter realized that at the time, but he was the one who goes and prepares that. 
During this, Peter talks to Christ and says, I'm going to go with you. I'm here by you. I'll fight. If I got to die, I'll die with you. I love you. I'm going all the way with you. All right? And I'm sure Peter felt that. Then just a few hours later, he draws his sword and cuts off the guard's ear in, in the garden where they're praying. He had to be feeling pretty good about that. Think about that. Here's my sword. Whop! I'm going to defend you, Lord. And what does Jesus do but pick up the man's ear and puts it back on? I think Peter was going, what in the world is going on? Again, it's okay as a Christian not to always get the whole picture or understand everything. Christ had just said, no greater love has a man than to lay down his life for a friend. Peter had to be thinking, I love my Lord. I'm, I'm willing to lay down my life for him if I have to. I'll cut this fellow's ear off. We're going to get after it here. They ain't taking it. And Christ picks up his ear and just puts it back on. Huh. What in the world? So then he starts following. Christ is taken. Now Peter's thinking, what, what's going on here? He follows, but not real close. But he follows. And then they ask him, aren't you the man? Nope, not me. Uh-uh, got the wrong guy. I don't know the guy. And then the cock crows and he remembers Christ saying, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. How crushed must he have been? Have you ever been there? I have. God bless me so good. And I'm way up here on the mountain. And it ain't a day later. It might not be lunch on Monday. And I done stepped in it. Made a mess of stuff. And I'm thinking, my goodness, how could I do something so dumb? You ever been there? I, I don't know about anybody else. I'm just telling you me. I have. So that's what happens. You know, the scriptures don't tell me that Peter was at the crucifixion. He might have been. It may just not cover it. It doesn't say specifically that he's not. But John, was, and, and Peter and John traveled a lot together. John was standing right up by Mary, the mother of Jesus, because Jesus talked to him from the cross. Doesn't say anything about Peter. How bad must he have felt? I mean, when we mess up that bad, God's done with us, right? There ain't nothing we can ever do that's going to amount to much. Yeah, sarcasm again, folks. Sorry. Publicly denied Christ. If there was Facebook, that would have been the lead story. Peter. One of the beloved denies Christ right before his trial and then don't show up when he's getting executed, if he didn't show up. I really don't think he did, but again, can't prove it. But if he was, he wasn't right up, he wasn't up in, the, in the front row with John and, and Mary. 
So I, this is a tech, well, what do you mean this is a textbook example? Think about all he had to get over in his own mind to forgive himself for how he treated Christ. I mean, not to mention the stuff the other people say. That's bad enough in his own mind. But he did. He got over it. And God used him just a little after this. I mean, he wrote the two books called Peter in the Bible, so that's pretty good, right? Oh, yeah, and don't forget, he preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. That was about mm, maybe a month after this, give or take. Okay, might have been a month and a half. It wasn't real long. We cannot get stuck in our own pity, in our own guilt. Christ forgives us. Are we willing to forgive ourselves and keep going? I'm sure glad Peter did. Any comments? Don? Well, the Holy Spirit certainly did show up on the day of Pentecost, didn't it? Yeah. I don't know if everybody could hear that, but mom said if the men had just listened to the women. And with that, I think our lesson for today is over. <laughs>